Hello and welcome to Woman's Game. I'm Jack Target. And I'm Amber Tiara. And this week's episode, we'll be discussing injuries, inequality, impasses, maternity leave, and we have special guest Anne-Marie Batson back with us to preview the Conti Cup final. First up in the news, we have injuries galore this week. So Lucy Bronze, who has had to withdraw from the England squad with a calf injury. And this means she'll miss out on the She Believes Cup next month, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, it's a big blow for for Phil Nivordi's side um, because they begin their She Believes Cup defence against the hosts and the World Cup winners, the USA, on Thursday, the 5th of March. So, you know, the big game after the World Cup that we had in the semi-final and one of our best players will be missing. So um, it is a big blow for, for them as well. And for Lucy as well, you know, she's re- having retreatment in France and she did post on Twitter this week that, um, you know, haven't missed a single camp and been present at every single game for the past five years. And now she's going to have massive FOMO next week when she isn't part of the team. So it's a, it's a devastating blow for both for both um, Lucy and obviously for England, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, do okay without her. Yeah, it is a huge blow, but she seems more bothered about missing out, which it just shows um, what strength of character she has. She's not so bothered about the injury itself, more letting her side down and not being part of the team, but she will always be in spirit um, and let's hope she has a quick recovery. But as I did mention, we do have quite a few injuries this week. Um, and Manchester City's Republic and Republic of Ireland defender Megan Campbell has also been ruled out after having surgery on a tendon in her right foot. Now, she suffered this injury during City's 4-1 win at Tottenham um, on the 5th of January. So it's been um, a while, but obviously bigger bigger issue when having to have surgery and therefore not able to play. Yeah, sometimes these little things, they niggle when you try to get past them. But once they've gone into it, obviously, it's, it's a bit more damaged than, than they first fall. Um, and the Manchester City actually released a statement saying she'll now begin her rehabilitation process. Uh, and everyone at the club wishes her a full and speedy recovery. Um, and as do we, we, you know, we hope that she's back on the pitch soon. And off the back of our discussions um, in our podcast last week, the ACL demon has hit once again. And so Everton's Gabby um, George has ruptured her anterior crucial ligament during their 5-0 FA Cup victory at Bristol last Monday. So yet again, another player out with an ACL injury. This is definitely not a good thing. No, exactly. And, you know, we, we're taking that one step forward, hopefully, as we've discussed with the, the treatments and the, the different training regimes to avoid this. But it does keep happening. Hopefully we'll see less of it in the future. But um, unfortunately for Gabby, she has picked up that ACL injury. Um, she's obviously in England international and she suffered an injury uh, in the first minute of the match as well. So right from the start, um, we'll obviously have to, of course, go have to go uh, undergo the rehab to, to get this fixed. Um, but new sign Hayley Russo has also had surgery on a broken nose sustained while playing for Australia. So she'll be rejoining Everton after the international break next month. So a couple of injury worries for Everton. Yeah, definitely. We wish them all recovery. And um, now moving on to some very sad news. Charlton Athletic will pay tribute um, in their next match to their former player, Lucy Kerr, who has tragically died from cancer at the age of 20. Now, Lucy joined Charlton at under 14 level and was later part of their development team. So this is a blow to someone that the whole club hold dear to their heart. It is, yeah. It's sad news and it's good for the club that they're able to to try and pay their respects in, in this particular way. Um, the manager, Ratish, uh, Mishra said that she was there at the start of my journey with Charlton as a coach with the under 16s. Her personality and attitude in particular were infectious and she always put a smile on the face of our staff. So um, I see a, a really positive message there and shows what sort of person that she was. Um, and our heart goes obviously to Lucy's family and friends during this hard time. It does. Now on to um, more positive news for the, for the game, that is. Um, we've 
heard that the Finnish FA have announced that they will drop the women part and the other prefix to change the top division of their league's um, name from Women's League to National League. And this is all in the latest attempt to implement full equality in the running of the country's football. Now, here on A Woman's Game, we do love talking about how to make the game um, more equal. And this is definitely one of those stories, which might sound quite small, but the changing of a name, as I even tried to do, just dropping the women's can have a huge effect on the way people perceive sport. It absolutely can. It's a great initiative. And I think, um, obviously, you know, when you look at that country in particular, it is one of the few nations where the women's team have probably been more successful than the men's side over the last sort of 50 years or so, where they've qualified for Euros, have done very well. Um, we've only had the men's side finally make their first tournament, uh, which will be this summer. So, you know, to have that where you, the, you know, you've got the, the equality there, um, it, it's a great move. And I think it'd be very interesting to see if how it takes off. Because um, last year, the Finnish FA, they became one of the, only the few organisations in the world who have equal pay for their men's and women's national teams. Uh, and on Thursday, it was revealed that the latest steps um, in its three-year plan. Now, Ari Lati, the president of the Finnish FA, said that last summer's Women's World Cup proved that people do not base their interest in football on the gender of the players and people should come to the game to see the top athletes play quality football. And that is why women's football should be treated equally equally with men's. Now, it's an interesting point because we do often say in the women's game um, that women's women's World Cup, women's this. And I actually had um, an interesting co- conversation with someone just before, before we recorded this podcast, actually, where I was referring to the women's World Cup um, that's happening at the moment in cricket but I, I left off the women's part and they got all excited and I was telling me telling them about a player who was 16 and just playing and they were like right I'm gonna go and google him and it was the the immediate kind of reaction that it was, that it was a boy um but I almost lo- I enjoyed not including the women's just to see how far it would go before they realized that it was obviously um the wrong gender but it is interesting because you can kind of almost coax people into being interested because you're not saying women's and I, I don't know whether it is a deterrent and whether you find that maybe more so than me Jack being being a man but it, it's quite small because I think people have a, a preconception about the sport and women's and I don't know what that is necessarily I'm sure it does vary from sport to po- sorry, from sport to sport but it, it is there whether we like it or not. It is, it is an interesting thing where you know we'll see the more of this come through and I think hopefully as the, the, the sport continues to grow and if we start getting a bit of a level pegging in in pay and in TV viewings and all this sort of thing there may be it, it will be added whether it, you know you take away the women's or you just add men's more in in certain things um mm. it's interesting you say that point about speaking to people because I do a similar sort of thing because obviously I go to you know when I go to certain games and stuff and I, I you know I live in a predominantly West Ham area and I will say to people oh, I'm going to West Ham this weekend and I think a couple of people because they know I have this podcast and go to women's football a lot they kind of either try and think about me first to think oh, is he talking about women's or is he talking about yeah. men's oh no sometimes they they kind of get it or sometimes they sort of have to question it and go oh you mean the women's and I'm like yes the women's and, they go, <laughs> and, then, and then they can have the discussion about it and the good thing is that they, they all quite knowledgeable and have discussions about it but there is that kind of moment in between where they're like is he talking about you know which one's he talking about but um yeah, so I get I get what you're saying when you say about you know when you leave out women's sort of tournaments of sports and then seeing how people <laughs> react to it. But it's interesting because I think if you look at towards the Olympics, you know, if you've got the it's always the men's hundred meters, the women's hundred meters, and I feel like that at least is a late eleven playing field because you're describing the mm. actual event and that makes sense. But why is it 
just football and that's men's and then you have to say women's football to mean women's and I just I I like it more when there is inclusion and this is gonna be so random and don't worry no one's paying me for this but it's it's something I saw on television the new Deliveroo advert (laughs) bear with me Mm. it's got it's got both the men's and the women's players in it and of course you know it's about someone delivering to all these players whenever they want takeaway or whatever and I, you know obviously it is a marketing ad, but it's great or oh, I got excited because you've got Ellen White there doing her famous celebration alongside the male players and you know Pickford whatever it's just it's just good and if I don't know I'm not saying go and find this advert necessarily but it, it did it did it does hold up this narrative that we're trying to change across across the sport um in football especially that you know it, we we need to either say men's and women's or then it's just football isn't it Exactly, yeah. I think that's a good thing that these adverts are taking this on board. They're not just buying, obviously, Deliveroo are doing it in, in coordination with the FA, but it's not just, all right, we're with the FA, so let's get, you know, Harry Maguire and Pickford and Harry Kane on it. It's like, no, we're going to do everybody from the FA. We've got, we've got this whole, this whole like, this this contract is not just with a particular team, it's with the whole organisation. That's, that's bring it out there. And obviously, it's great to see these players and obviously Jill Scott's one of my favourite players ever so her doing a celebrated and backflips <laughs> is amazing I love that um, but it's great to see and you know you said, you know, you said don't necessarily go look at the advert but if, if Delivery would have sponsor us as well then, then we can watch the advert <laughs> all we like and we can you know just put I'm it out I'm not sure there. I can do the backflip Jack I'm not sure about that <laughs> I would say I'd give it a go, but I would be in hospital straight away, so no. <laughs> but don't worry, you could always get a delivery order in. That was that was plus side. <laughs> yeah. Um but but sort of back to our story, we've got the um obviously you know the equality has already started in, in Finland. Um hopefully, you know, we'll see a little bit over here, we'll see more hopefully more in the future. Um but uh, the president of the Finnish FA, the Ari Lati, did say that um because it's one of the interesting points about reaching that equality, because he says to reach full equality in sports still demands a lot of hard work. And our sincere wishes that our leagues, both in Finland and globally, will follow our lead. And we aspire to be a pioneer of equality in the eyes of the whole sports community. And this is what something we we talk a lot about with the women's football, is that it's not just about football and, and women competing. That it's, it's trying to have a positive message as a leader of how we can have equality in all sports. And obviously, that hopefully that will bleed into society. Um, couldn't put it better myself and on that um, very topic we have mentioned this story before so we are updating you on this Um, but talking about equality and pay um, news is that Spain's top flight um, female footballers have now signed their first collective agreement on paying conditions and this of course is breaking this impasse that they've had um, with the authorities in Spain and which actually led them to have to strike last November so it's um, great to see that there has been progress and now they've come to an agreement where um, you know the Spain Spain's top players can actually um, get the money and, and and hopefully the conditions um, they deserve and it can go on to you know better bettering both of those for the situation for them. Exactly, it's been a long time coming. You see that the, the Spain um, the Spanish national team are doing a lot better now and the game's progressing there. You've got the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid will be in the league as well soon. So there's no really any excuse for this not to have happened. Um, so it's great to see you know that this agreement actually guarantees that the Premier Division players. Uh, going to have a minimum annual salary of, of 16,000 euros, which is about sort of 13,000, just over 13,000 uh, pounds, as well as paid holiday. And I think this is very important and in maternity leave, among other benefits. Yeah, it really is, because, of course, um, it's something that might not be necessarily looked at in depth when you're looking at the, the men's men's island paternity, mm. of course, I need to say. Um, but it's incredibly important um, in the women's. 
And the sport minister, Irene Lozano, said that it's actually a historic day because the collective agreement is very important for players who were worried about their futures. Um, she can say it's also important for Spanish women because when one group of people makes advances, so does everyone else. And I can't emphasise that point enough because it's exactly what you were saying there, Jack. This this is huge because the implementations can go so much further. It sets precedent in other sports um, and in other parts of the community. And this is why it's so important that these breakthroughs do take place they shouldn't need to but when they do we should cling on to them and actually um hopefully use them to help empower other people be it women or other people of different um communities or different diversities because this is important and we need to all be working towards um a world which is more equal um across the board not just in sport but it's great when things can happen in one division because that it you know fingers crossed for that ripple effect happening quickly soon after Exactly right. I think it's my turn to say, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself because um, it is exactly <laughs> the point. Complimenting each other on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, each give each other a five star rating. Um, <laughs> but it, it is the point. Obviously, this is, you know, the thing about women's football and, and women's sport as well. It, it, it's trying to bleed into that to sort of have it make it more normalised that, you know, this is this is the way forward. Uh, you had Ruben Alcane, who's the president of the Association of Women's Football Clubs, said uh, this is a moment to celebrate and now all actors in women's football need to work together. We need a sustainable model for women's football in order to arm the sport with better resources. And that's the kind of thing that it's, it's building, but there's so much more that can be done. Um, as uh, you know, in, in the story with Finland as well, it's a big, long process. Um, but we, you know, everything seems to be working. We are getting there uh, by the looks of things. It is. And I, I seem to also like the fact that um, it, one country or at least one um, kind of body in different in, in different countries does one thing um, and hopefully, you know, others will pick up on it. But it always seems to be a different point, which I think both is negative because there seems to be so many issues to work through. But on the other hand, it's such a positive because it means that um, as with anything in this world, there are so many causes to fight and each country can't can't necessarily champion a an effort um, or all the efforts at the same time. So we've had um, maybe with the with the pay also happening in, in South America and, and America as, as well with with the men. So we've mentioned that a few times, but they might have championed, you know, understanding the training regime around the ACLs and, um, you know, periods per se and then we've got that trickling into the UK but then you've got you know the more Scandinavian countries already dealing with the, the pay gap better and now we've seen with the women's league and hopefully that will catch on and I think the idea I'm trying to come across here is hopefully all of this will eventually catch on and as long as it's, it's progress in some direction you're hoping any neighbouring countries or even just figuratively any neighbouring um, leagues will also it will also happen for sure and on that front um, one one thing that would be great if if um, they could t- take a leaf out of this um, Spanish FA book is looking across to to America. So speaking of maternity maternity leave, World Cup winner Sydney LaRue has told Forbes that she spent more on babysitters than she made in the NWSL last year. And now she's calling out for more support in mothers um, for mothers in America's top football leagues. So you've got one country in Spain, which has just now got this um, maternity leave um, among their benefits. Of course, I'm sure um it's not going to be across, it might not be to the same amount in terms of even paying their annual salary. But then you've got um, in North America where it's a massive issue. And this story coming out, I mean, can you imagine having to spend more on, on babysitting as a new mother than than your entire salary? That's not something which you just suspect top footballers to have to deal with. 
Well, it's interesting because I'm, you know, it's it's very t- timely as well because I'm kind of going through this exactly at this moment in time uh, personally, where you know we've got a nine-month-old now as this podcast will come out, um, and there is that choice of what happens when we both go back to work and the childcare and trying to work out exactly what's for the best. You know, you're trying to balance it up, and there is that. You know, how much of career-wise do you balance with taking care of children as well? So this is exactly the, the same sort of thing. And we're in an OK position. But obviously, you know, this year we're having support. I think what's more bizarre for me here is that, you know, this isn't just, you know, it's, we're talking about the level we're talking about here with, with football here. You have a, a World Cup winner in what is seen as probably until maybe very recently, the best league in the world with some of the best players and the best facilities. And they've got this issue that doesn't marry up to me somehow. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it, it seems like something. Well, actually, I'll tell you what it what it does. It's triggering a thought that they had. Remember when um I think it was was it a Nike who um who had to amend their um maternity leave. Um, it was for the back. athletes, yeah. For the athletes, where um it was it was kind of you had to be back within six months or had to be have, uh, at a certain level of your game after so many months afterwards. And if you weren't, then your sponsor- sponsorship deals were cut. It reminds me very much of that because that was something that was, once it was put into the spotlight, everyone's like, oh my God, how is this happening? And sometimes you don't know whether it's um, a battle, like, like for example, um, the Spanish players have had to have, you know, really grueling having to go to it on to having a strike and then still months later taking, um, to going into those negotiations. Or is it something that's just been overlooked and now it once is in the spotlight something will happen because it's in the spotlight you'd you'd hope it was the latter um but that's all i can kind of think of with them because it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all um and especially for a country like we said who seem to be so progressive in in so many other areas whether it's just like you say um her situation or in terms of cap, uh, caps, I'm not sure of the exact details, but you kind of you kind of want to steer on on the on the more of a, a positive um, note on this and thinking oh this this can't be it but it's still I mean the the figures are still there and they're still shocking exactly yeah and you know this is an interesting point because uh to go into sort of more details about LaRue herself this is her second child and it was um the child was born in in, in June uh last year um and she returned to action for uh, her club side Orlando Pride just three months later so you know three months after giving birth you know I absolutely applaud her it's an incredible achievement um and she did post on on Twitter saying that uh, far too often we see women having to make a choice between motherhood and their career and it is prevalent not just for football or soccer or anything like that is obviously you know society-wide it's quite incredible i know america is is very bizarre i think for us where we have a quite a long maternity leave but in america it's quite short so there is that very that, that fine balance which they need to work out really yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I'm I just baffled this. Even even anyone having a baby and then after stealing, <laughs> I mean, we laugh. It's I I mean I don't have children, but it's scary just thinking about it. So I applaud anyone who wants to go through this process. So then, let alone afterwards not having, you know, can't take a vacation. You've got a newborn, all the pressures of that, and then you're thinking about jobs, and then you're thinking about how to pay for them. This is a stressful time, and you kind of want everyone to be able to, to to not have so many so many worries, and especially people you you'd, you'd assume were being taken care of by their club. But she did say um, on her Twitter post that um, she did she wants um, to know that um, her situation is a little bit different um, from others, so whatever that entails. But she did say um, it's so important for her to advocate um, for other mothers and women in the NWSL who have children or want to have children and want to continue chasing their dream. Um, it would be very sad to lose out on the talent we have because they feel that they can't do both. Um, and that sort of leans really poignant note at the end where you think of how many people are deterred from having kids or 
having a second kid or who knows whatever more because because of of the careers and it, it brings up that whole you know you is you know is it a choice should is it kids or a career can you have mm. both we be trying to create that for both and I don't just say that for women in football I think it's it's a conversation for society and I I'm I'm not saying it would you know could be a much bigger discussion for sure but it, it does beg that question of it shouldn't really be a choice I don't think it is a choice for men it shouldn't be for women um, and it's just about trying to um lubricate whatever needs to be done to to kind of make all the cogs in in this system work for for mothers um and if there is some pressure to come back but then financially that it still works for them i don't know this it just seems like something that needs to be sorted out it is it's it's the massive you know i think the question we've had from the past probably 50 years of of humanity of uh, of balancing you know career and and family um it's something which hopefully there's a lot more to it and i think that you know I can only speak personally to myself because I, I have not obviously I'm not a woman and I don't gone through that as a mother of 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 how to deal with that and how, you know which best way to balance it up and the certain pressures that come from from other from work or from family or from anything else of of to go one way or the other. Um, but the only thing I can say from from personal experience is the hope is there that obviously more benefits and more more uh, support is going to be there for women and mothers to go through that, but also more support in some ways for fathers and partners to be able to help the support so you know if they're able to 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 step up they're doing i'm doing certain things myself where a little bit out of the ordinary but that's because i want to be able to support my wife with her career and then we can work out it's more of a partnership thing there um and that's not just for fathers that's for for any partner in 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 any any sort of uh relationship so um that's where i think you know there's there's two fronts there where you've got more support needs to be for a mother when it comes to a career and also for any partners that are there to be able to help the mother with that as well. So there's lots of things, you know, it's a big, it's a bigger issue outside of football, but that's something which, you know, would need to be looked at, as you said. So we're going to results over the weekend and a couple of midweek games as well. Uh, we'll start with that big game uh, that happened in the Women's Super League uh, between Manchester City and Chelsea. What a thriller this was. It was a it was a, a six-goal thriller indeed that kept the title race wide open. Um, it was a quite a lively start to the game and Ellen White opened a score in from close range with a typical poacher's finish. Um, I'm, I think she's glad VAR wasn't there because there might have been a slight <laughs> offside, but I'm going to be too biased for that, but I think she was on. Um so she's got the the opener and then she so young equalized with a long range volley and it took a deflection past Ellie Roebuck in the city goal uh, in the second half Georgia Stanway gave the home side the lead with a powerful finish after a breakaway run from the halfway line um, and that goal was actually the WSL's 2000th goal so quite a good uh a good bit of trivia we could have for the future there um i'm definitely gonna be putting out a few pub quizzes <laughs> in the future um so it was a good goal for, for the 2000th one um and then we had lots of drama what seemed to be a really short space of time uh firstly starting with magdalena erickson uh got a header which squirmed past roebuck's hands um to give chelsea that that equalizer at 2-2 and yeah, like you said, then it was all it was all drama because the fun didn't stop there. As just minutes later, Sophie Ingle gave away a penalty, which then Stanway took and was saved by Anne Catherine Berger. And then within 15 minutes remaining, Beth England scored an absolute screamer from a distance to give Chelsea the lead against. It's all back and forth, but then that wouldn't be the end of the action. Um, just just to stop the Chelsea fans. Um, 
uh, as though Laura Hempman prodded in the equaliser two minutes later to give to give you know such such an entertaining game. I don't know whether it was a, a fulfilling result for for everyone, but it was definitely from from as a non Man City or a Chelsea fan per se, just as a, as a observer, it was very entertaining game and we like goals and this was in the, the right senses. You had the drama back and forth in you. Exactly, and it was a great game to have on telly as well for for the fans and for people to sort of tune in. And we, you know, we, we heard a lot. I think at the weekend after that, I think we tweeted on from our account saying you're going to hear the phrase uh, "great advert for the game," and that certainly yeah. was. It was incredible. Free goals, penalty save, all these things happening. Absolute brilliant. You know, the the, the skill and, and the, the class of both sides was was there to see. Um, and some cracking goals. Well, that if that Beth England goal, obviously I'm biased, but that Beth England goal, um, I, I literally jumped out of my seat. It was incredible. <laughs> it was a brilliant goal to, to put Chelsea three two up. But um, yeah, cracking game. Really good game. And if you haven't actually watched that Beth England goal, I think off the back of that, you probably should because it is an absolute screamer. Oh, it is certainly goal of a month contender. Um, <laughs> Going to some other games in WSL, we had quite a few goals uh, between Everton and Manchester United, um, but it was the Wayside Man United who were able to hold on as they beat Everton 3-2 um, at the Toffees' new ground. Uh, Leah Galton scored twice in the first half, uh, cutting him from the left-hand side both times and then sort of slotted it into the corner. Uh, Ella Toon made it 3-0 with a tap-in from close range, so you think the game's pretty much over at 3-0. But Everton did have a fight back uh, with goals from Dan Turner and a quite a spectacular effort by Lucy Graham, but it wasn't quite enough to salvage a point for Everton. Uh, and Man United got all three points. It did indeed, but we also had a lot of goals in this in that game and in our next one as well. So there was six in total, but it wasn't split as evenly as West Ham United won 4-2 against Liverpool. It was an impressive performance by West Ham that gave them that much-needed win, um, but it did send Liverpool to the bottom of, of the WSL, so it did um, split those sides. Um, Adriana Leon and Martha Thomas scored two um, each for the Hammers, so they're a very good game for them both, and that gave them that, that rather commanding lead. Um, it was Rachel Furness who pulled two goals back for Liverpool then late on so it was um three, only three scorers but six goals so again in, entertaining from from the goal side great to see them get um work there you know those in from a Liverpool point of view but sad to, to see that they're still at the bottom but really well done to West Ham yeah so you had you know all these games you know great goals as well and, and, and goals everywhere in these games and in the last couple of games um, there wasn't as many goals, but both were quite crucial when it comes to the table, uh, especially with the next one with Birmingham City against Bristol City. Um, as Bristol City got that win 1-0 at Birmingham, uh, it was Ebony Salmon who scored uh, a crucial goal for Bristol to move them off the bottom of the table. Uh, Birmingham at the moment have been missing quite a few players for injury, uh, Lucy Staniforth being the big name that's missing at the moment. Uh, they played quite well in the game, they hit the woodwork, uh, but it was Salmon's cool finish late on that gave the Robins that very important victory it certainly was and well done to Bristol City for getting that in now Spurs made the numbers count as they edged out 10 player Brighton they managed to win 1-0 again important goal there getting getting them all the points it was um, Leah Legarrick who was sent off in the first half for Brighton but Spurs wouldn't score until the 67th minute so um, a long time between so they were able to capitalise on that one player less um, but it was Rihanna Dean who converted a penalty for the game's only goal um, so again entertaining in a very different way not that we like to see so many mm-hmm. people sent off but the dynamics it, does, it makes interesting football watching the dynamics and yes Spurs, Spurs came out on top um, and it's good that they actually got their goal um, even if it was a little bit later than expected 
It is, but they they all count and they get the three points, so they'll be happy with, with that. Um, but you know, it was a really interesting uh, weekend because of the league table as well. Uh, it meant that Man City remained top by a single point, uh, but Chelsea do have that game in hand. Uh, Arsenal are three points further back. They didn't play uh, in the league this weekend, but they're three points behind Chelsea at the moment. Uh, Manchester United they jump up to fourth after that win against Everton. Bristol City, as we said, are off the bottom. They're up to 10th now, and now three points off of Liverpool, who sit at the foot of the table. And we also had action in the Women's Championship, uh, starting with another big scoreline. Sheffield United, they beat Blackburn Rovers 5-1. Jade Pennock scored two early goals, which ended up setting up an emphatic win for the Blades. And the goal central continued as Aston Villa won 4-0 against Coventry United. It was Shania Hale's hat-trick that kept momentum going for Villa. So fantastic for her and a well-good win for Aston Villa. Yep, and it was a bit more of a, an evenness with this next game with the goals going in because Leicester City and Charlton Athletic uh, drew 2-2. An interesting one about this game because all four goals were scored in the space of 10 minutes in the second half. So a really interesting 10 minutes, but um, the, the points were tied. What do I say? I tell you, everyone goes in and has some Weetabix in half time, or that or Harry Bowes. <laughs> it worked an absolute treat. Um, but we had another draw um, as London City Lionesses drew against Crystal Palace. And it was the Lionesses who scored in the first minute. Um, so again, early goal there, but Palace came back to get the point. Um, so not not as much entertainment in the first 10 minutes, but again, an- another draw, draw for both sides. Yep, and there was one more game, but that was postponed, unfortunately, between London Bees and Durham. Still play that fixture uh, later on in the season. Um, And there was also some FA Cup fifth round action, which went ahead this week due to uh, some of the postponed games earlier, due to all these storms that we keep having at the moment. Uh, There were three games um, that took place, and this is all for a place in the quarterfinals uh, that was at stake for these sides. Uh, It started with Leicester City, who pulled off the shock uh, result as they beat WSL, WSL side Reading in extra time with Paige Bailey Gale scoring twice in the Foxes 2-1 win. Arsenal then eased past Lewis um, and thanks to goals from debutant Kathleen Ford and Danielle Vanderdonk to set up a North London derby round and Brighton were the last team to book their place into the quarterfinals with a 3-0 win over Crystal Palace. So this Saturday we have the Conti Cup final between Arsenal and Chelsea. It does kick off at 5.30. If you're not at the game, uh, it's going to be on BT Sport 1 as well. So plenty of opportunities for you to watch it. On the line, we have Anne-Marie Batson. How are you doing? I'm really well. How are you guys? All good. Yeah, all good. Looking forward to this final. (laughs) As am I. As am I. I think this is going to be a fascinating encounter between two teams that have seemed to traded blows over the last uh, few months ago. So definitely over the WSL season, that is for sure. Yeah, because both teams have played obviously played each other in the league already. Chelsea have won both of those, um, and they've had pretty similar routes through to the final. I think the only big difference is that in this cup competition, Arsenal have been, you know, this is their eighth final now, and they've won it six times. This is only Chelsea's first final, which is quite staggering considering the success they've had outside of this competition. I'd say so, and of course, if we have to just remind ourselves that this was the competition that Emma Hayes had publicly said that she wanted to get rid of because of the fixture fixture issues that have been going on with it. And I I agree with her in terms of the fixture issues. I don't agree of getting rid of it, but I do agree with her about, look, you know, when the season is over, having a look about trying to fix or trying to find space for this to be in the calendar properly rather than it being shoehorned in. But to go back to your point, 
I think it's it's one that Chelsea will want to win. I think they'll want to go for the double. In fact, I think they'll want to go for the treble. They're not part of the Champions League, so it gives them that time and space to go for all the domestic trophies. And like you say, Jack, I'm really surprised that Chelsea haven't won it um, over the last few years. But then it just shows how dominant Arsenal and Man City have been when it comes to this particular competition. Do you think that kind of gives Arsenal maybe the edge then because they've been there, done it, got the T-shirt? I don't know. I've got to be honest with you. I'm... I'm leaning towards Chelsea winning this one purely because they're just so strong at the moment. I appreciate that Arsenal will come with the experience because they've won the cup so many times, but that loss that Arsenal had against Chelsea in the WSL really rocked my foundations because the team that I was watching, I didn't recognise at all. And Chelsea just played on another level and they are also a team that know how to dig in and grind out results as we saw over the weekend, that 3-3 match with Manchester City, you'd expected Chelsea to walk away with that one with all the three points, and they didn't, but they still managed to get themselves back in the game. So it's a a funny one, really. I I am leaning towards Chelsea purely because of their strength and depth in the squad, but it's being played at a neutral venue. I think that will be quite key. I think that um, Arsenal... From a squad point of view, they're going to have a few issues. We know that Beth Mead is unlikely to play because of her injury. Don't know about Kim Little at the moment. Um, Whereas Chelsea are pretty much flying. So on paper, I would think Chelsea would be the favourites. But it's a cup final. A surprise could be coming our way. I think think Jack might have paid you there as a Chelsea fan, hasn't he? It's music to my ears, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Now, as, as a broadcaster, I have to, uh, you know, be, you know, be balanced and everything. But no, I'm not a Chelsea fan. If I take off my journal for a second, I'm not a Chelsea fan. But I, I'm appreciate, <laughs> I, I was going to say, but I can really appreciate how brilliant Chelsea have played this season. They have played at another level. And I don't think teams within the WSL, apart from City and maybe a little bit of Arsenal, have figured how to play them. We know that Chelsea are very dynamic in attack. And as soon as that's suffocated, they are they struggle. And there's not many teams that can do that apart from maybe City and Arsenal. So for me, you would think City would be the favourites. Um, but then, as I said, it's a cup final. Anything could happen. It's true. And I think, do you, or do you think it's the work that Emma Hayes has been doing with her team, both on and on off the pitch? Because we've been hearing her with a few ideas, one of them also being about trainings, um, gravitating around, you know, menstrual cycles and, you know, to do with the ACL. And she's just seems to have slightly different tactics. Do you think that's really coming to fruition this year? Or is this just Chelsea being Chelsea? I think this is Chelsea being Chelsea, to be honest with you. Amber, I do think that. I think what what they went through last season when Arsenal won... Um, won the title and Man City um, won the FA Cup. I think that stung them a lot. And I think that just gave them that oomph, that thinking of, right, we're just going to go out there and win as many matches as possible and dominate the WSL and dominate the domestic league. So I think it gave them a bit of fire. I think it gave them that bit of, um, what's that word I'm trying to think of, just gave them a bit of impetus to go out there and fight for every point. And they've done exactly that. They, for me, this season have probably been the best team in the WSL for sure. Um, So I just think it's just given them that extra motivation to go out there and win as many matches as possible. And what I find really fascinating about Emma Hayes, when I watch her 
coaching uh, when she's standing by the touchline at matches she doesn't really um shout a lot she doesn't really demonstrate a lot she's just watching all the time watching her players and I like that I like the way that she lets her players just do what they're supposed to do because everybody I would say within Chelsea when they're on that pitch they know their jobs and she's not directing them she's just watching them and then maybe she'll shout a couple of words of encouragement but she's letting them do what they're supposed to because she's told them um and I see Joe Montemuro is doing that a few times as well now with his team so I think it's just, I really boil it down to, I think it's just giving them that extra motivation because they want to be the best team in the league and the best team when it comes to winning domestic trophies. Which is interesting because this is, you know, we're only a, a year or so removed, uh, well, two seasons by the end of this one, where they went the season unbeaten and, and won the title. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned there about, about Emma and, and Joe as well because I think that as the game has obviously got the more professional league, I think we're seeing that with the way the two managers are performing on the sideline because you've had that time and effort to put all the work in before the game so you've got less to do with trying to make adjustments on on, on the game itself, which seems to be coming across uh, with what you're saying there. Very much so. And it brings me back to that point I said at the beginning about scheduling. These are two managers, and, and I'm, I'm using them as an example because... Uh, and I would also throw in their Manchester City as well. They're having to juggle some erratic scheduling when it comes to the Conti Cup because they're having to play games in September, October, November, even the start, you know, beginning of this year um, and in January as well, um, as well as juggling FA Cup matches. Um, in terms of Arsenal and Man City, they had uh, European matches as well. That's a lot to take on board mm. for all those coaches. So it's been a lot of juggling. And I, and I appreciate that from, you know, that happens in the men's game. Um, but I think there's more pressure in the women's game to juggle the schedules. And they've both done fantastic jobs. In fact, all three teams have done fantastic jobs in terms of the demand that is on them. Not obviously on themselves because they want to perform really well and they want to win trophies and they want to win titles, but also the increased exposure that they're getting um, with the public as well. So I think they've they've managed it really, really well. That's why I'm actually really excited to see how this is going to play out this weekend. I'm really excited that it's also playing the same weekend as the men's Continental Mm. Cup final as well. I think that's brilliant. And I like the fact that it's actually outside of London. I like the fact that it's up in Nottingham. And I like the fact they've taken it around the country as well. I mean, one day I think it will be played at Wembley, which would be fantastic. But I like the fact they've taken it on a bit of a tour so the rest of the country can get to see um, a a cup final in the women's game. So I'm I'm really excited to see how this is going to play out for sure. You mentioned... um... Um, you know, have, upping the game and the exposure it's getting. But one thing we've also mentioned on the podcast a few times, um, and Emma Hayes has been vocal about, is the state of, of pitches, not necessarily to do with this final, but in general, and also um, the officiating. What do you think maybe might need to be done in the game in general on those topics, if you have any kind of ideas on that? It's very much about investment, Amber, to be honest, on both those fronts. I think investing in the officials, because we want the best officials in the game, and I'm sure the officials want to be the best as well. So let's give them the help and the support that they need and encourage people to sign up to become referees. I think think it's a viable pathway definitely into football. If you're interested in the game and and you're not really thinking, well, I can't be a player and I'm not really into coaching, then then referee is a good option. It's, It's a good pathway. So I would be thinking about more investment. In terms of the pitches, I think there's, it's, 
there's a multitude of issues about pitches at the moment. And I think it's not just affecting the women's game. It's also affecting grassroots, men's, boys, girls, as well, right across the country. And I think that, again, that is very much down to investment. If we just focus on the women's game, as we've seen several teams like Liverpool and Everton and Spurs have had matches cancelled because of waterlogged pitches. We can't control the weather, of course. Um, that's just a natural phenomenon. But is it a case that more investment needs to go into pitches? Do we need to build more efficient pitches? I know there's a real debate about artificial turfs and things like that. Maybe we shouldn't be looking at that. But I do think going forward, we need the infrastructure in place to support the game because what we don't want to do is keep building the game up and up and up and not giving it the infrastructure to support it as it grows because the last thing we need is people to start not coming to matches and losing interest because that would be a disaster. It's a discussion I think that will rattle a little bit and we'll, we'll probably mention it quite a lot. Um, I imagine we could probably talk about it for hours on end. Uh, but obviously that, that's um, going back towards the, the final again there. I think you only mentioned your inkling towards Chelsea. Have you got a score prediction? Oh, you put me on the spot, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting I'm expecting goals. I'm expecting Miedemar's got to get a goal for Arsenal. I think that's yeah. going to Yay, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Um, I'm expecting goals. So I'm going to go, I'd say 2-1 to, to Chelsea. Okay. Oh. Jack, uh, what's your prediction then? Uh, a nice, comfortable 7-0, I'd take. But I don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. <laughs> Wow, that's a thrashing. Um, yeah. No, nah, I'd, I'd, I'd think you're probably about right too. Well, I could see Arsenal will score because it is a final. Um, but it depends on what sort of Chelsea turn up. I think it'd depend on what sort of Sam Kerr turns up as well. Because if she's on it like she was in the first, um, the last time they played each other, she might be able to get a goal in there and cause quite a few problems. And we might see that turn from like a close 2-1 to maybe a 3. Um, and, well, maybe not more than that. But I think that's, that's the sort of where it's going to lie. I think there's going to be some, as well as the team battle that's going to be going on, I think there's going to be some individual battles going on. Obviously, Chelsea are going to be looking at Miedemar because they'll see her as the main threat to what they want to achieve. At the same time, Millie Bright and her defending, if she's playing, they're going to have to be top-notch because I think Chelsea slightly fell down a little bit when they played Man City at the weekend, defensively, as we saw with the ending as a 3-3 finish. So I think that will be looked at. But as you just mentioned, of course, Sam Kerr is going to be in there. But don't forget about um, Caitlin Ford as well, who's Mm. joined Arsenal, who's been very impressive, who's very fast, works really, really hard. I think given that Arsenal are not going to have one or two key players playing, I think they're going to look to others to really, really step up, particularly somebody like Daniel Van Donk, for example, Mm. um, Obviously, Jordan Nobbs, who's going to be... I think she's wearing the captain's armband on Saturday, I think. Okay. Um, I think she is. As unconfirmed reports um, <laughs> that she'll be wearing the captain's armband. So, uh, it's yeah, I think there'll be some individual battles going on on the pitch. Well, I'm sure there's definitely going to be excitement. Um, and we'd just like to thank you, Anne-Marie, for actually coming on and giving us a little preview there. And um, we very much appreciate it. So, thanks again. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. We'd like to thank you as always for listening and please do tweet us with any of your thoughts on the stories we've discussed today, be that for the, the, the injuries that are happening, whether it's the Spanish 
team getting um, you know more equal pay, or even what you think about maternity leave um, in the in the women's game um, across across here and the pond. Um, either way, we'd love to know your thoughts and opinions. So please do get in touch with us. Yep, and you can do that by uh, best way to do it is to follow us on Twitter. We are at Women's Game Pod uh, on Twitter, so give us a little follow there and obviously send your messages in about all the stuff we've talked about. Um, and you can subscribe and obviously rate, uh, leave a comment on your podcasting service for us. That will really help us boost us up the charts and get us more noticed. Thank you. Please do all of that. Listen to Jack, otherwise, who knows what's coming. <laughs> want you in your nightmares no just kidding of course we wish you very happy dreams that's been all from us at a woman's game we'll see you next week